Father, thank you for the privilege we have to worship you and to praise you and to hear your word. And Father, I pray that you would prepare our hearts, that we would respond as you have, as you desire, that your spirit would work in us, that our hearts would be changed, Lord God. And I pray as your word comes forth, it would be exactly as you desire, so that we uh, would uh, be changed and you would be glorified. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Well, the Christian life is uh, one of uh, failure and forgiveness. Failure and forgiveness, failure and forgiveness, right? But it should be less failure, more forgiveness, more forgiveness, right? I mean, we should be growing, but yet as we grow, we realize really how sinful we are. And there's other areas that the Lord has to work on, and he is sanctifying us. He is changing us. And just because we do fail, that's not a justification for failing. Uh, the Lord desires that we are holy. In First Peter chapter 1, he says, you should be holy for I am holy. That's his desire that we are set apart from sin. And he is relentless as a good parent to work on us to set us apart from sin. And that's what we call sanctification. And that's what God is doing in our lives. Now, if you're a real believer, you're going to be broken up over your sin. You're going to hate it. You're going to hate it when you fail. You're going to, I can't stand when I fail. And you're going to be confessing and begging the Lord to help change you and to, to make you different. I think we've all been in those situations where there may be something in our lives where we're just not changing. We're begging God. We're, we're praying. We're, we're, we're going to bed. Lord, change me. But I think one of the things we're going to see today is that Part of the process of change is something that God calls us to do, which is to obey his word, which is to obey his word. Let's turn in our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 10, and we're going to see how we can know if we have truly repented. We're going to see and look at the fruit that we should have as we look at uh, this group of Jews who knew the Lord, the Lord their God, who had God had worked on. Now we know the first part of Nehemiah is about the rebuilding of the walls and the, and the gates that were burned down, a physical rebuilding. And there were certainly spiritual trials within that. And there was opposition. And we saw how Nehemiah stood firm against that opposition, trusting the Lord. And they were with one hand their swords, with the other hand their trowels. They were about God's work. And the wall was completed in 52 days. And then the book moves from that to where we see God is working on the lives of these Jews, building, rebuilding the spiritual walls and the, the gates and the doors that were broken down. Indeed, we saw that in chapter 7, Nehemiah alludes to the fact that uh, there was no one in Jerusalem, no house, there was very few and very few houses, and that there needed to be the people there, but they weren't. And he goes on to share a genealogy, but it moves in chapters 8 through 10 to really uh, the uh, repentance of these Jews and the restoration of them in their relationship with the Lord. Indeed, we saw that begins with them desiring to hear the word of God. And they weren't desiring to have their ears tickled. They could have called someone else to come over, but they called for Ezra, a man who had set his heart uh, to, to study the word of God and to do it and to teach it. We're going to see, we need to set our hearts to do it. Uh, see, one of the biggest problems we have is we are not resolute in our desire to obey God's word. 
And we're going to see today that they were. You know, when you got saved, you, 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 were, you were ready to obey. I'm going to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. But we get in the muck and mire of sin, and we get in the muck and mire of circumstances, and our resolution to obey the Lord can wane. Now, I'm not talking about a, uh, a legalistic resolution of works, but a faith that works, a faith that works, a faith in Jesus Christ, those abiding in him. So we saw in chapter 8 that they desired the word, they desired to hear it, and it was brought to them, and they were attentive, and they were listening to it. And we saw the Levites explained it to them, that they would have knowledge and understand, and they were broken up, and they responded, addressing some of the sin that they had already, and going and doing the Feast of Booths and that such. And they were broken up, but then they rejoiced, because the joy of the Lord is their strength. And then we saw that they continued with that desire to be uh, to, to, to obey. And then we saw that the word was brought to them again, and they, uh, they were listening, they were responding. And we're going to see in our passage today, after having looked at last the chapter 9, that they were fully repentant, that they were desiring to do the right thing, and they responded in the right way. And we can learn from that today. So we're in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 10. We'll refer back to chapter 9 in a moment. But let's read our passage together. Now, there's a lot of names here. There's actually 84 names. Um, I'm going to read it the first time, uh, but I'm not going to read it the second time. So uh, I'm probably going to mess them up, but uh, uh, we'll get close enough here. Now, on the sealed document were the names of Nehemiah, the governor. We know who he is, uh, the son of Hakaliah and Zedekiah. Uh, Serechiah, Azariah, Jeremiah, uh, Pashur, Amariah, uh, I'm going to put my glasses on for these ones here, Um, Malchiah, Hatush, Shibaniah, Maluk, Harim, Mermoth, Obadiah, uh, Daniel. Now, those aren't the same names from the other places, by the way. These are guys that were Jews that had, you know, you can ha- know someone whose name is John, and that doesn't mean he's John Kennedy, right? John F. Kennedy. Yeah. There's a different name, right? Or a different person, but same name. Okay. Uh, Ginnathon, Baruch, Mashulam, Abijah, uh, Majamin, uh, Maazariah, Bilgal, Shiamaya. These were the priests and the Levites. Uh, Yeshua, the son of Azaniah, Benui, the son of Henadad Kadmiel, also their brothers, uh, Shibaniah, Hodiah, Kalita, uh, Peliah, Hanan, Micah, Rohab, Hashabiah, uh, Zakur, Sherebiah, Sherebiah, she. Sherebaniah, Ahodiah, Bani, Banui. These are all good names. If you got, if you're pregnant and want to name your kid, here we go. List for you. Um, and uh, the leaders of leaders of the people: Parush, uh, Path, Hath, Moab, Elam, Zatu, Bani, Buni, Azgad, Beb, Bebai, Adonai, Adonijah. Bigvi, Bigvi, Adin, Atter, Hezekiah, Azur, Hodiah, Hashum, Hashum, Beziah, Harib, Anath, Nabai, 
Mag Mag Payash Meshulam Hazer Meshezabel Zedak Jadu Jadua Pedataya Hana Hanan Ananaya Hoshia Hananaya Hashub Halahesh Pilha Shobek Rehum Hashabna Maasaya Manasaya Ahaya Hanan Anan Maluk Harim Ba Ana. Now there we go. Okay, that's a big list of people, right? Um, and you know we're going to get to this later, but why the list of the names? Why does God put all this in His Word? And I think it's important to realize that this is a real deal. These are real people, just like you and I. They are actually, as we will see, putting their names in a document, saying we're going to obey the Lord. They're putting it in writing. And so God is revealing who these people are that are putting their names down. And then notice it says, Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all those who had knowledge <coughs> and understanding, all those who had knowledge and understanding, are joining with their kinsmen, their nobles, and are taking on themselves a curse and an oath, taking on a curse and an oath to walk in God's law. Sorry. And a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given through Moses, God's servant, and to keep and to observe all the commandments of God, our Lord, and his ordinances and his statutes. And that we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. As for the peoples of the land who bring wares on any, on any grain or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day. Sorry about that. A lot of reading here. We will forgo the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Now you can keep reading. And we're going to see there's two other areas that are specific. So first of all, they say we're going to obey God's word. It's the structure. We're writing it down. Also, we're going to address these specific areas which we failed in. And there are four. You know, it's one thing to say, I'm going to obey you, Lord. I'm going to obey your word. It's another thing to say, I'm going to obey you uh, and not get angry at my wife or my husband. You know, I'm going to, it's one thing to say, I'm going to obey you. It's another thing to get specific, to get specific. And they get specific here, and there are four areas, two of them which we'll look at today, and two of them which we'll look at next week, Lord willing. So you can keep reading, and later on, the next, this third area, which is not which I'm not reading about, has to do with giving to the service of the temple. And they, basically they say, we won't neglect it anymore. And then the fourth area is the willingness to live wherever the Lord wants you to live where they took lots to live in Jerusalem, to move there from their other places. Okay, So we're going to see those specific areas that they weren't willing in before, that they had sinned in before, that they're saying now we're going to do it. So here, again, if you've been with us through Nehemiah, we've seen the spiritual rebuilding of the people, their response to the word of God, uh, their fully, as we saw in chapter 9, their full acknowledgement of how they got there, why God's disciplinary hand was on them, a full accounting. Our father's sin brought it to this point, and we're part of it. A full accounting. They were repentant. And at the end of chapter uh, 
chapter uh, 9, notice it says in verse 38, now because of all this, that's all the stuff and all the sin that they had and all the difficulty they had encountered because of their sin, so of all this we are making an agreement in writing and on the sealed document are the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. And that's the list that I just read. So they're making an agreement. They're saying, hey, here is an agreement to do, as we'll see, to walk in God's word, to obey his word. And then, very specifically, to address specific areas of disobedience. You know, we look at all kinds of different areas. You know, well, you know, maybe uh, the, the something someone doesn't do things the way you like or whatever it might be, and we say this or that. These are specific sins that God's word directs and addresses. And in that, this is what they are addressing. This is what they are responding to. So because of our sin and the sin of our fathers, yet in light of your forgiveness and compassion and grace and your promises, we're going to make an agreement in writing. We're going to make an agreement in writing. And that is our passage. And first of all, we see there is the commitment by the leaders to obey God's word. And they put their names down. They put their names on this, okay? So we have Nehemiah, the governor, and I'm not going to read the names again. There were the priests, uh, middle, ver, end of verse 7. There were the Levites, verse 9, verse 14, the leaders of the people. These are all the leaders. They're saying, we're going to put our names down. We're going to say, we're going to do this. Uh, and so we have 84 people in the list headed by Nehemiah. And notice uh, the rest of the people join in too. The rest join in. Uh, verse uh, 29 or 28 now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of, of, their, of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, and all who had knowledge and understanding, those who responded. Remember they understood the word of God? Remember they, had, they got the knowledge from, that was made known to them by the Levites, the word, and they had knowledge. They got it. They understood it. They got it. It says here, are joining with their kinsmen, their nobles, and taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given through Moses, God's servant, and to keep and observe all the commandments of God, our Lord, and his ordinances and his statutes. So we have the rest of the people, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who had separated themselves, and all who could understand, right, and had understanding and knowledge. And they are joining with those who made this list, uh, this, this covenant that they made, joining with them. We're joining too. And we're joining, uh, taking on themselves a curse and an oath. Okay, whoa, curse. Well, the curse probably, you know, Israel had already agreed, by the way, as a nation to obey the word, to obey the law, had already agreed. And then when that agreement, they said, we'll do this. We'll accept the curses and the blessings. Blessings if we obey, cursings if we disobey. And I believe this is a reacceptance of those curses. We accept the, the consequences of disobedience, like we see in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 28 through 30. And so, and then he says they're taking on an oath. An oath is an agreement to do something. A, a, an oath, an agreement uh, it's a solemn uh, testifying of one's uh, willingness and desire and thus uh, saying one will do something in that sense. So they're joining. 
uh, and they're joining. And what is that oath and the curse? Uh, to do what? Two things. Two things. First of all, middle of verse 29, to walk in God's law. That means to live in it. To walk means the way you live. It's not just I'm going to obey this little thing here and there. I want to desire to walk in God's word. I want to walk in his word. I want to, I want to obey his word, which was given through Moses. That's the, that's the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They're specifically here. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And through Moses, uh, given by God, it's God's law, through Moses. Moses brought it forth, right? Uh, God's servant. Isn't that great? Moses, a good guy. Uh, he suffered a lot. Uh, he made some mistakes, uh, but he was a good guy. He was the most humble man, we see. Uh, and he uh, experienced a lot of difficulty with the Israelites, but he was God's servant. He was God's servant. And we're making a, we're making a commitment to live a lifestyle of obedience to the God's word. That's the first thing. You know, we do that when we are saved. We, we make that commitment. I want to obey you, Lord. I want to walk in your ways. I want to follow you. I want to follow Jesus. We make that commitment, right? And so they're recommitting themselves, in a sense, to keep, to observe. Notice the second thing. And, verse end of verse 29, and, so you have to walk in God's law, and then, and to keep and to observe. Those are two parallel statements, which mean obey. Which mean obey. Uh, to walk in his law and to keep and obey. Notice what he says here. Keep and observe all the commandments. Not a few of them. We're not going to select a few that we like and throw the other ones aside. We are, if we've been humbled by our sin, we're ready to follow the Lord with no conditions. Uh, it's not like, you know, I'm going to obey you here and here, but, uh, you know, it is a willingness to obey him all the way. They're all in. They're willing to do so. We said, and that is a fruit of genuine repentance. There's no conditions. We'll obey you, Lord, if you uh, will do this or do that. We'll obey you if this happens or that. And there's no conditions at all. Heart has been humbled, and they just said, we're going to obey. We're going to obey. No conditions. No conditions. And by the way, this is personal. I mentioned this the last few things. We might be tempted to point at other people, hmm, uh, are they obeying? Are they fully repentant in what's going on in their life? Are they, are they fully repentant? Are you fully repentant? This is about us. This is, this is directed at us. And it's interesting, you know, when I preach and teach, you know, I'm not perfect. I fail, you know, but what I'm sharing is absolutely true. It doesn't mean I live up to it perfectly, but I desire to, and I hope you do too. I hope you do too. It's God's perfect word, and we should, as we will see, have a desire and a commitment, by the way, to obey God. And I think we're going to see where reason why we don't get out of the doldrums of sin is because we never really fully commit to actually stepping out and obeying. We confess it, but we never say, okay, I'm actually not going to do it anymore. I'm going to step out and not do it. Now, there's a gray area there. It's not works. But we're going to see it is, as we see in the song, which we'll sing later on, trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus. Okay? So we can learn from this greatly. So here we have this commitment. And notice he says, this is, this is personal. It is the word of our God, our Lord. We're going to see later on uh, that it's all about our Lord, our God, our Lord, our God, in the third thing about the temple. It's all about our God. This is personal. We have a relationship with the living God. We have sinned against him, but we have repented, and we're going to walk in your ways. We're going to walk in his 
ways, the statutes of our God, his statutes, his ordinances, to keep those and all the commandments of our God. Not a select few, but all. There's no uh, picking and choosing which ones work best for my life. It's a humility and an understanding of a compassionate, gracious God who everything he says we should do is actually good for us. Everything he says. And when we don't do it, it's actually bad for us. We know that, right? We know that. Now, at this point, if you're truly repentant, you're going to step out, I believe, as we'll see, and obey. Now, you're going to be committed to it. Now, we do fail. We're going to see later on that some of them fail in chapter 13. And Nehemiah gets hot, and he addresses it, okay? Uh, We will fail, but there needs to be a, a, a wholehearted desire, yes, I'm going to obey. And that needs to move in the context of faith and God's empowerment to actually obeying, to actually obeying him. So how do we do this? How, how do we do this? How can we have a commitment to step out? How can we say, I'm going to obey the Lord? It's, it's kind of scary. I'm going to obey you. We know we fail, right? We don't want to take an oath. Uh, Lord, I take an oath to obey you and to say, and then we know we're going to fail, right? Well, let's take a look at some passages that will help us with this. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. Now, in Revelation chapter 2, the Lord himself is addressing the churches. And he is addressing their sin and the things they do right. Some do right. Some uh, There's only one that didn't have a problem. Uh, there's others that have all problems. And there's some that have problems and some that have good things. The church at Ephesus had some good things they were doing and they had some bad things. And he's going to tell them what they need to do. And he's going to show us through this that repentance not only is a change of mind, but it is actually going and doing something, as we'll see. Uh, Revelation 2, verse 1. To the angel or the messenger of the church of Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. That's the Lord, by the way. I know your deeds, your toil, your perseverance. You cannot endure evil men, and you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Now, these Ephesians, they listened to Paul. Paul gave his last words, watch out. You know, elder, shepherd the flock, bad guys are coming. And they did. They were watching out for him, and they were addressing it. And they were obedient, and they were persevering in difficulty. But there was an area of sin that needed to be addressed. And notice what he says, but I have this against you that you left your first love. Well, our first love is Jesus, and from that first love is a love for one another. You see? And evidently, the Ephesians, when they came to faith, they, as we see in the book of Ephesians, they loved one another. But that love had waned. Their love for Christ, I believe, they left it. They 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 didn't leave it behind. They walked away from it. And so notice what he says here. He says here, uh, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen... That's identify the sin and repent. And then notice what he says, and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming back. He doesn't just say repent and stay the same. He says repent and do what you did at first. Repent, step out and love one another. Love me. How do we know we love God? By obeying his word and loving his people, right? Okay. And he says, so do it. That's really clear and very helpful here. 
We also see this principle, and I read this earlier in Ephesians, and we'll look at that in a minute. But we need to be committed to doing what is right. Committed to doing what is right. You know, um, indeed, we've all been in that pit sometimes. We don't like our sin. We, we pray about it. We pray to change, and then we, there's no real change. We think mystically something's going to happen. You know, that somehow, mystically in the morning, I'm going to wake up and be different. Well, the reality is God has placed a means in which we are sanctified, a means in which we do things. And part of that means is we see in Matthew chapter 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and I'm with you to the end of the age. Part of that means is by faith, obeying our Lord, stepping out in obedience. We're going to see examples of things, uh, examples of sin that we maybe pray about, but never step out and stop. We need to step out and say no to it. We're going to see in Christ we have the power to offer ourselves to him and not to sin. And we have to make a determination, no, I'm not going to do it anymore. You know, even the world gets that, okay? You know, you've got like a a marriage that's broken up with some type of uh, infidelity. And the, the, the wife says to him, you need to stop or we're done. The guy makes a decision to stop. And he doesn't go there anymore. You see what I'm saying? There is actions based on a change of mind. And we see that in Scripture. We're going to see these people were changing their hearts towards their sin and making a commitment to obey. Indeed, uh, they, we see that within this, we need to trust and know that it is by faith that we do this. We abide in Jesus as we step out in faith. It is by his spirit empowering us to do so. It is by his grace. His grace is sufficient. His power is perfected in weakness. We're not adequate, but if God says, stop being angry, then I, in Christ, can say no to anger. I don't have to hold on to that. I can say no. No more anger. I'm not going to do it by God's power and strength. And that applies to every sin. Now, we will fail, But we should be saying no more often and yes to what his word is and yes to saying no, right? (laughs) We should say yes to saying no, right? And so here we have it. And I mentioned this back in Ephesians. This is a, there's a principle to this in Ephesians. It sits throughout the whole Old New Testament and the Old Testament too. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter four. And I, I read this earlier. There's the renewal of the mind. There is the, then the putting off and putting on. And that's not simply a mind game you play with yourself. It's a reality of saying, I don't want to think this way anymore, and I'm not going to do this, and making a commitment in your heart to step out and stop doing that. And then he will say, after putting on the new self, Ephesians chapter 4, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's where it starts. Put on the new self. This is verse 23, which is in the likeness of God, chapter 4, Ephesians 23. Be created in righteousness, holiness of the truth. Therefore laying aside all falsehood. In the case of those who have a false mouth, stop having a false mouth and speak truth. That's an action. That's an action. Be committed to stop saying things falsely. And he goes on and gives a list of things here, a list of things. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down here. You make a a, a, a commitment, I'm not going to let it go down. I'm going to confess right now. I'm going to stop. I'm going to let it go. You have to be determined to follow Jesus. If we are lazy in our thought life, we are lazy in our actions, we're going to continue to be caught up in sinful patterns. It's not saying we're not going to sin. We are going to sin. If anyone says he has no sin, he's a liar. But we are those who confess sin. 
And so going on in Ephesians, he says, do not let the, give the devil an opportunity. Don't do it. That's a command. So then I, I should better not do it, right? I need to actually not do it and choose. I'm going to choose not to give Satan an opportunity because God tells me not to. And with God's command to me, there is the power to do that command. You see, if I trust him, if I trust him, you see, and then he gets all the glory because he empowers me to do so because his grace is sufficient. His power is perfected in weakness. And so he says, let him who steals, steal no longer. This is an action. Stop stealing and start working so you can give some money to those who are in need. That's really what it says, right? Um, But rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from us, but only that such as for edification, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't don't burden the Spirit of God. Cause the Spirit of God to be grieved over your over your mouth. Right? It says here, um, by whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, slander, clamor, clamor and slander be put away from you. Put it away. Stop it, right? Stop being angry. Stop being wrathful. Stop slandering, clamoring. Stop it. Say no to it by the power of the Holy Spirit because God tells you to. You see what I'm saying? You know, um, there's, there's, there, the Lord enables us. It's just like with kids, with parents with their kids. Uh, you know, you're on their side. You know, you tell them to do something, you're going to help them do it to the, to the nth degree, right? God's going to help us. He's going to enable us. Says, do it. And he says, put it away from you along with all malice. And here's the positive command be kind. I'm going to make a determination to stop being angry at my spouse, and I'm going to be kind to them instead. I'm going to make a determination, regardless of how they treat me. There's no conditions here. Well, if your spouse is not doing well, then you can be angry. You know, no, it's not what it is. Or you can be a bad husband because of this or that, whatever it might be. So we need to be determined to do what God says. And then he says here, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God and Christ has forgiven you. Those are actions of obedience in the context of faith. I need to obey God and obey and forgive you and forgive you and forgive you when you actually sin against me, not when it's a faux sin in my head that I've made up, when you actually sin against me, right? And then turn to Colossians chapter 3. We have the very same principle in the New Testament of being determined to say no to sin and then doing the right thing. It's actually obedience to the word of God. And I think the real issue we have is an obedience problem. Yes, we got to work out the confession part down, but we have an obedience problem. We have an obedience problem. Okay. And Christ wants us to obey him. And they were committing to do what? To walk in his ways and to obey his word, to obey his word. Colossians chapter three, verse five. And this is after Setting your mind on the things above, not the things of earth. Hey, I got my mind on Jesus. I got my mind on what's really going on. The things of earth, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in my work, a lot of stuff going on in my relationships, a lot of stuff going on in my families, oh, but a lot of stuff going on in my physically. I'm not going to set my mind on that. I'm going to set my mind on the things above. And therefore, that leads me into this part. Therefore, Colossians 3, 5, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which you must idolatry. Consider it, they're dead to it. In Christ, you do not have to yield to it. You think you do. You feel like you have to, but you don't. You don't. Consider them as dead. For to count of these things, the wrath of God will come. And in them you once walked when you were living in them. But now you also, here's the actions. 
Here's the action. Put them all aside. It means throw them off, which means stop doing it. You could say it this way. Stop being angry. Stop having wrath. Stop your malice, your slander, your abusive speech. Put it all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed to the true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. The reality is we sadly at times pray and we're broken up over our sin and we just go back right to it the next day and do it right again. Maybe we have not committed in our heart of hearts to stop doing it. Maybe we haven't asked God certainly to help us, but we're, you know, it's the next step. Okay, I'm not going to do it by your power and strength, Lord God, help me not to do it. Uh, Romans chapter 6, turn there. Turn there. Based on our relationship with Jesus, we have the power to obey him. We have the power to obey God based on a relationship with Jesus. Right? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. If I said Ephesians, Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Just keep you on your toes there, right? <laughs> Romans 6.11, and you could read the whole first part because it's talking about your union with Christ and that we're actually dead to sin's power uh, because of what Christ has done and we're alive to God, which means God is now enabling us to live differently. And he says here, even so, verse 11, consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So if I consider that truth that I'm dead to sin. It doesn't have power over me anymore. I don't have to yield to it. And I'm actually alive to God. I now, in that context, can offer myself to obedience and the Lord and to righteousness rather than sin. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let it be king. Don't let it have the crown in your actions. Don't let it be in control that you should obey its lust. And do not. This isn't a command. We need to say, wow, okay, I, Lord... And so we need to, this will help us in our confession too. I have not obeyed your command to let sin not reign in my body, right? So here, and do not go on presenting the members of your body as sins of, as, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but, positively speaking, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. Instead of stealing, work hard in the Lord. Instead of being angry, get rid of it before the sun goes down. Instead of uh, getting angry at people and malice, forgive. Do that instead. Start obeying the Lord. Make a commitment to do so. And the Apostle Paul uh, did so. It's by his word working in us through his spirit, by his power, in the context of faith. If you're not trusting the Lord in your obedience, then that's not from the Lord. You have to trust him. But that trust will lead you to say, no, I believe that I'm free from this sin. I believe I can now be kind, and I'm trusting you to enable me to do so. And I'm going to step out, and I'm actually going to be kind. I'm actually, because you're changing me, you've done it, I'm going to be kind. We make the decision, not a faux decision, a real decision within the relationship with Jesus. The Apostle Paul, everything he did was by God's grace. He recognized that. 1 Corinthians 15, for I'm, verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. That's the worst sin you could have, by the way. You'll persecuting that. He'll say he's the chief of sinners. And he says here, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And by his grace, and his grace towards me did not prove vain. 
but I labored all the more than them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. I went out and I labored. I exhausted myself, but it was God's grace in me while I was exhausting myself. That's called obedience. He did what God called him to do in preaching the word of God, and it was exhausting, but it was God's grace through him. It was his grace through him. He would say uh, in Colossians 1 that, we're to, that we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man that we may present every man complete in Christ. And then he says here, and for that purpose I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works in me. You know, back in Ephesians, we t- saw that we're to stop these things and do these things with a renewed mind. Well, earlier in Ephesians, he said that you would know the surpassing greatness of his power towards you who believe. His power by faith will enable you to do the right thing. If you make the decision, I'm not going to be angry and I'm going to be kind to them. I'm going to be gracious. Make the decision not to lust. I'm going to fear the Lord and turn away, making those decisions uh, to stop sinning and to do what is right. So we see in Scripture often, uh, we see the idea of doing. Now, it's not doing to be saved. It's not doing to be sanctified. It's doing because we are saved. It's doing because we are being set apart. It's because of what God is doing in us. So you're probably saying, well, I don't like the idea of making an oath. And I'll tell you, I struggled with this too. Struggled with this too. I think we don't like the idea of, of an oath at times because we actually kind of want to do the sin we're making the oath that we don't going to say we're going to do. I think we kind of like it. We kind of want to hold on to it a little bit. And that makes it a little hard to say, Lord, I don't, I'm not going to do this anymore. Now, we're going to qualify that. We're going to qualify that. The Lord Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, talked about oaths. And in James chapter 5, he talked about oaths. But he was talking about oaths in the context of those who were manipulating those oaths in hypocrisy to appear godly, but they were actually sinning through those oaths. You see? So he's saying, make no oath in context like that. But let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't be a liar. Basically, that's what he's saying. He's not saying don't make oaths at all. We make oaths all the time, by the way. We make some very serious oaths. Uh, I venture to say when you got married, you made a vow to not or to be faithful to your spouse. Right? Venture to say, I venture to say if you bought a house, you made an oath or signed that you're going to pay for that house. You, you, what you want to do, you will do. And if you want to obey the Lord, you're going to say, Lord, I want to obey you. I don't want to do this anymore. You see what I'm saying? And that's what they're doing. And I believe it's going to be manifest in, first of all, a desire to obey his word in general. Everything. I want to obey your word. Secondly, where I have failed specifically, I'm going to obey you. If it's what? Lust. If it's anger. If it's this, I want to obey you. I want to obey you. I don't want to go this way any more. And so then we see them making an oath in a sense to walk in his ways. And by the way, we can't do it apart from Christ. We can't do it apart from trusting in him. It's impossible. Uh, apart from him, we can do nothing. If you say, I'm going to no longer do this and this and this, you're going to fail. You're going to fail on your face quickly, or you're going to become very prideful and arrogant like the uh, Jews who didn't know the Lord. This, this agreement to obey the Lord is in the context of trusting him and knowing his compassion, his forgiveness, his kindness, and relying on him. It's a fruit of repentance. 
that illustration of the world. Uh, I'm not going to go out with that woman anymore. She's not my wife. Made a determination not to do it. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, we can make those same determinations, but we have Christ's ability to help us do what is right. If he commands you not to be angry, you need to trust him. He will enable you not to be angry, and he will. If he commands you not to worry, you need to obey him and trust him, and he will help you not worry. If he commands you not to lust, you need to trust him, and he will help you not lust. You see what I'm saying? That's really the key. But yet we make provisions. We have a whole backpack full of provisions to sin. And it's a whole group of thoughts back there of, well, you don't know how she treated me. Uh, You don't know what my life is like. You don't know how I'm wired. Whatever it might be, there's a whole host of stuff in that backpack, but we are to make no provision for sin. Look at Romans chapter 13. And we all do it. We all fail. We need to confess it and not do it. It's another command. Lord, I'm sorry that I have made provisions for these things. No, I'm not going to do it. Romans chapter 13. Romans 13. Romans 13, verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love doesn't wrong them. If you're, not, if you're wronging them, you're not loving them. Right? Uh, love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. It's the fulfillment. And do this. Here's the doing again. God's word has a lot of doing to do, by the way. There's a lot of statements in here for us to do, right? But it's in the context of relationship with Jesus. And do this, knowing that the time is the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone. The day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly. It's actions. It's obedience. Um, as in the day, not carousing and drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, sensuality, nor strife or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh and its, or flesh in regards to its lusts. Take that backpack of thoughts and provisions and throw it out and confess it. Make no provision to sin. Trust the Lord. And obey the Lord. Trust and obey, for there is no other way. So then, these Jews were repentant. They were committed in their relationship with God to obey him. And I want to ask you, are you committed to obey the Lord at work? I want to obey you at work. Are you committed to obeying with your family, raising your children and the fear and admonition, obeying those scriptures? Are you committed in your marriage to live in an understanding way? And yes, we, we fail, but we need to be committed. Yes, I want to obey this. I'm going to obey this. Uh, to respect your husband, submit, to love him and your children, uh, for husbands to love their wives. Are you committed to doing that? Are you saying, I am going to obey your word, Lord God, in my family? And it needs to be in the context of, I trust you to do it through me. I trust you to do it through me. But if you never commit to doing it, you never make a commitment, hey, I'm going to obey you, Lord. You're not going to obey him. You're not going to obey him, okay? This is a hard passage because we have this commitment thing, you know, we have this oath thing, but it's here in Scripture, right? It's very clear. Are you committed to using your gifts in the body of Christ? Are you committed to honoring him with the first fruits of what you make at work? Are you committed with your time to him? You see, we need to go all in in the sense, well, I want to obey you in everything. doesn't mean we're not going to fail. We will fail. We need to confess quickly. You confess quickly and 
be, be resolute to desiring to follow Jesus. There's a lot that's going to distract you, and it's all your flesh. It's all Satan. It's going to get you all about you rather than about obeying him. Okay? Turn to, John, turn to uh, Matthew chapter 3, and this is John the Baptist talking to the Pharisees, talking to them as they come out. Boy, this is, I'm almost out of time, and I haven't got to the specifics yet. Okay, well, I hope you're buckled in there. I hope if you need to get to go to the restroom, do it after the service, all right? All right, but uh, okay, so Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. This is uh, John the Baptist, but when he saw the, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, or you, you offspring of snakes, um, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. You see, there's fruit with repentance. Acts chapter 26, Paul is recounting how Jesus saved him on the road to Damascus. And then he talks about his preaching, and it's very interesting what he says. Acts 26, verse 19, Consequently, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. That's when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. Okay, And he says here, But kept declaring to both those in Damascus first and also in Jerusalem, that throughout the region of Judah and even in Galilee, that there should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. I'm not talking about a deeds salvation. I'm not talking about a deeds sanctification. I'm talking about a true faith that does change you. You remember Zacchaeus. He got saved and he's like, I'm, I'm going to repay. I'm going to give double of what, uh, you know, uh, of what I've, if I've defrauded. Or if I've, and he talks about it. You can look that up in Luke. But he committed to doing the right thing. If you're repentant about how you've treated your husband or your spouse, you're going to be committed to do the right thing. If you're repentant about how you've been working at your work, you're going to be committed to do it right instead. You see what I'm saying? You understand? And that's what's going on here. So then by his power and strength, make a commitment to obey the Lord, especially in the areas that you have failed, especially the areas you have failed Notice that's where our passage leads us back in Nehemiah, where they now begin to list four specific areas that they have failed. We've got to commit to obey you wholeheartedly in your word, but hey, here are the specifics. Here's where we've blown it, and this is what we're going to do about it. Uh, there's four areas. One is in obedience regarding relationships. Uh, secondly, regarding work and money. Third, in regarding supporting God's work. And fourth, in regarding where you live and serving him. Four things, specifically with their sin, with their sin. And so notice, back in our passages, passage, notice we have our passage if we just went through their commitment. And then notice verse 30, and that we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land and take their daughters for our sons. That's a specific. That's not, they're, they're, they're nailing it down. We have blown it. And by the way, they've blown it. They've blown it. We'll see later on. They slip up and blow it. Nehemiah gets hot in the Lord and addresses sin righteously. Okay? Uh, they've blown it. And here they recognize very clearly, we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land. The peoples of the land were the Canaanites. We won't give them to marry a Canaanite boy, and we won't let uh, our boys marry the Canaanite daughters. That's what we're saying. We're not going to do that anymore. That's a specific commitment. I'm not going to do this with my husband anymore. I'm not going to do this with my wife anymore. I'm not going to do this in the room when no one's around. 
I'm going to commit to saying no to, I'm going to run away from pornography or whatever it might be. I'm going to say no to it. I'm going to run. I'm going to make a commitment, whatever it might be. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. But it's all in Christ. It's all in a relationship with him or you will fail, 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 even worse than the way you failed before. Okay? So here, uh, they commit not to give their daughters. We're not going to do that anymore. Now, you might ask, is God against interracial marriages? Is that something God would say? Uh, uh, well, uh, he, he's not, they're not prohibited in Scripture. We see Moses uh, marrying a Midianite woman. We've got Ruth and, uh, and Boaz. You know, we've got an interracial marriages there. Uh, what God prohibits is not the interracial part. What God prohibits is the religious part. He prohibits a believer marrying a non-believer. That's really what's being said here. That's what's being said. And you might remember that these uh, Canaanites were given 400 years while Israel was in the land to repent of their sin. Uh, in Genesis 15, 16, the implication is that they're not going to go to the land until the iniquity of the Amorite was full, which implies God was giving them time to repent. He could have judged them before, but they didn't respond. And so then the real issue is not to intermarry uh, with Canaanites because they're unbelievers and they will lead you away from the Lord. Look at Exodus 34. Look at Exodus 34. And uh, we may have to stop with this illustration here and go on with the other part for the money part next time, probably, looking at time-wise. How are we doing on time, Jim? How long? 40, 40 okay. So look at Exodus 34, verse 11. Uh, be sure to observe all that I am commanding you this day. And that means obey. Be sure, Exodus 34, 11. 34, 11. Behold, I'm going to drive out the Amorite, remember that, uh, the Amorite before you, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Sounds like all those bugs in your house, right? Okay, I'm going to drive those out. And then notice what he says. Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, lest it become a snare in your midst. But rather you are to tear down their altars. It's religious, by the way and smash their sacred pillars and cut down their ashram. Those are religious things. For you shall not worship any other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous god. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and someone invites you to eat and of his sacrifice. Now, he's going to talk about these covenants. You, know? you think it's probably deals or business deals, things, but he's going to get to specifics here. Verse uh, 18, And you take some of their daughters for your sons, and, and, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and cause your sons also to play the harlot with their gods. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. If you marry a non-believer, they will turn your heart. And it's not simply the fact that things will go bad. You may actually have a nice relationship if you're very worldly. It may get by or fine. It's just not what God, it's not God's will. It's not his desire, and it's wrong. And it's wrong. Very clearly, uh, intermarriages would cause you to play the harlot. Look at what Moses says in Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy 7. Deuteronomy 7. 
And if you are young and not married, you better guard yourself. Uh, stay away from non-believers. There are some that claim to be believers. They're not believers. Look at their lives. Are they really following the Lord? Look at their lives. Deuteronomy 7, verse 1. When the Lord your God shall bring you into the land where you are entering to possess it and shall clear away many nations before you, Deuteronomy 7, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Parasites, Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you, when the Lord your God shall deliver them before you, and you shall defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them and show favor to them. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons and shall not make take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. But this you shall do to them. You shall tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and hew down their ashram and burn their graven images. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are in the face of the earth. And by the way, you can look at Second Corinthians. We'll look at that in a minute. Chapter 6, we've been chosen. We're a holy people. We've been set apart. And we're not to be entering into those relationships by the way the companion of fools will suffer harm it's just what god says if you think you are wiser than that well it won't happen to me it won't i i will win them to christ i i know i can win they're they're really really soft they're really you know they're the best they're ever going to be right now before you get married by the way they're really soft i can win them to christ whatever it might be uh the reality is that's not the case that's not the case. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Folks, they will turn your heart away from the Lord. Uh, they will turn your heart away. So that, uh, And if you think you're so smart that you're smarter than the Word of God, and this won't happen, uh, think about a man who was the wisest man ever on the face of the earth. Solomon, the wisest man ever. ever. But when he disobeyed this, he suffered greatly, and he messed up a lot of people. Look at 1 Kings chapter 11. 1 Kings chapter 11. And we will stop with this point and we'll do the, the money part. There's repentance in that next time. So we'll just finish up with this point here. Verse, 1 Kings 11. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonite, Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel... You shall not associate with them, neither shall you associate, they associate with you, for you will surely turn your heart away after their gods. And Solomon, had fast, Solomon held fast to these in love. It's not good. Now, these people in Nehemiah's time are saying, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to obey your word. We have failed in this area, and we're going to obey your word. We're not going to give them. We're not going to let our sons marry them. Then notice here. And he had, still First Kings verse 7, verse 3, and he had 100 wives, 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. For it came about when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, like as the heart of his father David had been. And he's going to go on and talk about the evil that Solomon did with his heart turned away. You can read that later. 
You think you're smart enough to uh, disobey God's word and get away with it? You're not. You're not. Bad coming. And for, for friends, bad company corrupts good morals. It just will happen. I'm not saying we can't be acquaintances, share the gospel, but yoking your heart, not a good thing. Not a good thing. So then, so then, there's not to be any disobedience in relationships. Well, what about those, and this is on a side note, those who were not saved, and they got married to an unbeliever, and then God saved them. What does God say about that? Are they sinning because they're in a relationship with a non-believer? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're getting close to finishing up here. 1 Corinthians 7. We're going to see the Apostle Paul exhorting about marriages, uh, you know, spouses, your body's not your own, so you're up spouses, don't hold back, except for prayer. You know, he's going to go on and talk about these things. Uh, and then he's going to go ahead and talk about uh, the non-believing spouse. He's going to talk about the state that you were called in and how do you respond in, with, in reference to that. 1 Corinthians 7.13, And a woman who has an unbelieving husband, and he consents to live with her, let her not send away her husband. That means don't divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified or set apart. It's a special setting apart. He's not saved, but there's a special blessing on him, uh, because you're a believer, by the way. Sanctified through, through the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified through the believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Yet, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. If your unbelieving spouse leaves, you let him leave. Later on, he'll say, are you bound to a wife? Uh, are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you should marry, you should not sin. You have not sinned. Uh, if they leave, let them go. Don't chase after them. That's what God says. God says. He says here, uh, the, the brother sister is not under bondage. That means the marriage bond, by the way, in this context, in such cases. But God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you shall save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Hey, you don't know if you're going to bring them to faith, even in this situation. So if they leave, let them leave. Let them leave. You're not going to save them by holding on to them when they want to go. That's what the way basically saying. Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner, let him walk. Thus I direct to all the churches. And he'll talk about staying in the state that you are. And if you got married and you're suffering the consequences, God's been gracious to you, you need to have very much so confessed your sin. Confess your sin and recognize that the consequences of having an unbelieving spouse that, that doesn't, you don't have nothing in common, really, truly, because Christ is everything if you're following the Lord. you got nothing in common. The suffering that you will go through is because of your mistake and your sin. And you should be one who warns others. I heard of a pastor, this lady in a church who did that, and she told him, hey, anybody who's considering marrying a non-believer, have them talk to me. And I will tell them how awful it is every day uh, because of my sin, and I deserve the consequence. Don't go that way. Uh, don't do it. And these, these, um, these uh, Jews are saying we're not going to do it anymore. Specific sin. We're not going to do it. Now, why would someone do this? I heard someone mention this, a pastor mention this. Why? We'll just finish up with this. Why would someone marry a non-believer? Well, maybe you're not following the Lord, first of all. Maybe you don't tremble at his word. You know, that's probably why. Because he says don't do it, and you don't really care, and you're going to go do it. Uh, another passage, Ezra chapter 9. Ezra chapter 9. 
And you're going to see there's a contrast between those who marry the, the foreigners and those who tremble at God's word. There's a contrast. Ezra 9, now when those things had been completed, the princes approached me saying, the people of Israel, this is like 14 years earlier, by the way, the people and the Israel and the priests of Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands according to their abominations. Those are the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and for their sons. So the holy race has intermingled with the peoples of the land. Indeed, the hands of the princes and the rulers have been foremost in this unfaithfulness. And when I heard this matter, I tore my garment and my robe, and I pulled some of my hair from my head and my beard, and I sat down appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of God of Israel on the account of unfaithfulness of the exiles gathered to me, and I sat appalled under the evening offering. I posit to you, if you're considering marrying a non-believer, you don't tremble at God's word. That you're not following. That's why you can have so much unity with a non-believer. Because you're not following the Lord. And you are on your way to a terrible, terrible end. We know from 1 Corinthians 6 that uh, the Corinthians were not to be bound or unequally yoked. It speaks of false teachers, but it applies to marriage. I'll read this to you, and we'll finish up. Do not be bound together, 2 Corinthians 6, uh, verse 14, with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship have light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Well, when a believer is acting like an unbeliever, they got a lot in common. But when they're following the Lord, they have nothing in common. It says here, Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, to, I dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, they shall be my people. Therefore, come out of their midst and be separate says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you. You see, touching what is clean messes your relationship with the Lord up, by the way. And I'll be a father to you, it says here, and you shall sons daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Do the right thing. Stop giving your kids over to unbelievers. Now, we don't have arranged marriage now, so how does that apply to us? Teach your children to marry a believer and that they should not be unequally yoked with those who don't know Christ because it is abhorrent to God, is abhorrent, is abhorrent. Now, one other reason why someone might do this, maybe it's just purely physical or emotional attraction. But let's go to the Word and learn and be warned. Do you remember a guy named Samson? Okay. Uh, he saw Delilah, and she was right in his own eyes. It said he looked, says the translation says she looked good to him in his eyes, but it's really the same phrase throughout Judges. She was right in his own eyes, and I'm going to read this here in in um in uh where Judges chapter 14. Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of Philistines, therefore get her for me as a wife. Wow, okay. Uh, then his father and mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives, among the, our people, that you go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she looks good to me. Maybe people get married because she looks good. He looks good to her. Don't. 
do it. If you read the consequences in Samson's life, yes, God was gracious to him. If you want to live the end of your life with your eyes poked out and dying, uh, you know, it wasn't very good. It wasn't very good. So heed those warnings from the word of God. And here we see that they were repentant in the specific areas they had failed. We saw the first. We'll look at the next three next time. We saw the first. And so what's the application for us? Are you willing to commit to obeying God, especially in the areas you have failed? I want to obey you, Lord God. I'm commit. I'm not going to do this anymore by your power and strength as I trust you. Are you willing to go to the Lord, confess? If you really are repentant, there's going to be a commitment to turn the other way, to turn the other way. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the example of these Jews and Nehemiah leading them in this statement of, of declaration to obey you and your word. Lord, I thank you for the example of them exposing very clearly direct disobedience to your revealed word and then desiring to obey uh, righteously in light of that. Lord, help us. May we not be those who just simply pray, help me, help me, but we actually step out in faith and obey you and do what you say and do what you say. May we do it in our marriages. May we do it in church. May we do it at work. May we do it at school. May we do it in relationships so that you would be greatly glorified. May we simply trust and obey. We pray this in your precious name.